This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. Because everyone loves <laughs> What? Everyone Look, this podcast is drinking with authors, all right? If you don't start off already being drunk, we've already begun, uh, gone down the wrong path. That's so true. I'm trying to do the introductions and Val, were you already doing drinks? Were you already drinking, Val? Well, it's, well, when I share my drink, you'll understand why like three, four sips already into this that I'm pretty much... I'm already gone. <laughs> oh, that's not surprising. Okay, our guest today for the second time, a second time appearance on the podcast is the amazing Rick Hines. So, woo! Hello. Okay, I, let's talk about what we're drinking and it goes along with the sponsor. So um, I am drinking Whiskey Road Founders Club from um, Skunk Brothers Spirits. And what I didn't know is this literally is a straight bourbon whiskey, but it says batch number one, barrel number one, bottle 97. It's 80 proof. By the way, everything from these guys appears to be somewhere between 40 and 80 proof. So um, they're amazing, but DWA10 gets you discount code, and this is actually a very, very smooth, very, very smooth bourbon whiskey. Anyway, Skunk Brother Spirits. Val, what are you already drunk on? Uh, it's oh, wait, 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 wait. So somebody gave me, um, I, this is a Christmas present was sent to me by somebody, one of the cups. It's a Dracula by Bram Stoker's cup. Nobody told me who it was. It literally just got two of these in the mail. One's Alice in Wonderland and it says they should be good for your podcast. So whoever the fuck sent those to me, thank you. And it's creepy and you should sign your fucking cards. Okay, Val, go. <laughs> it's called a peppermint mocha latte. It's one of these peppermint schnapps, one of these chocolate liquors, and one of these double espresso vodka things in a, in a mug. Now, uh, I'd like to point out that you're holding up these tiny, small, like, sample bottles, which clearly <laughs> means you're like... going you're, you're, you're going through somebody's, like, sample Christmas <laughs> gift set that they clearly got you of, like, here's a bunch yeah. of free small booze. Free small. No, and it came in a little package, and they printed me a thing, and they're like, this is a peppermint mocha latte with these things in it. And I poured it all in a cup together. And, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a peppermint mocha with a lot of, bite <laughs> okay is there is there any actual coffee in that drink well it's i mean it's no no there's no no it's just straight from the bottles all right it's, it's, yeah she's just the bottles. It's, it's just straight it's basically six no. ounces of liquor which is gonna mug, be... the coffee mug that says of course i talk to myself sometimes i need expert advice that's why you talk to yourself that seems dangerous <laughs> Okay, Rick, what are you drinking? She's going to be loaded if we keep letting her sip out of that cup for very long. All right. Today I got uh, tequila Reposado. Uh, um, it's a 1921 bottle of tequila bottled in Mexico. I was just down there. So this was like me going on a tequila tour to go get um, some sweet ass, delicious, uh, like dark 
uh, color tequila with actual flavor to it, which you can use to actually make like these crazy cinnamon, like old fashioned style drinks. It's basically the same recipe as an old fashioned, just swapping it with this, um, mixing in some cinnamon and, um, you know, some uh, orange bitters and things like that on the side. And that is what I'm drinking. That is amazing. Nice. Now you, you talked about this pre me hitting the record button, but I need you to, I'm drinking water out of my drinking with authors cup, but I would like you to talk about your drinking with authors cup. Cause you've been on the podcast before. Oh, totally. So you have one of these that comes to the lid. Do you talk so about it? This, this thing. Um, so every, every time you get to be an invited guest on one of these amazing podcasts, you get this like sweet swag cup, right? And this drinking with authors cup was just like a, the most basic college drinking cup that I thought ever possible. It has a shot glass inside of it, right? And it's kind of sat in my cupboard for like ever. And after just a crazy hectic year of writing and like work and all kinds of things and all of the apocalypse that happened in 2020 to 2021, I was like, screw it. I'm going on vacation to completely reset. So I went down to Mexico for eight days. Um, because of COVID travel restrictions, it makes sense to like just go stay at like an all inclusive place rather than go like explore cities, which is what I would normally like to do. But at these places, they tend to just give you like these little tiny like plastic cups. And I quickly learned after like the second day there that they'll just refill um, whatever cup you have with them. So I had the drinking with authors cup with me. I brought it down because I was like, screw it. I'm going to a vacation literally to sit down, unplug and drink endlessly. What a more fitting cup of you know something to to bring down and so that thing for the entire time was just filled with strawberry mojitos the bartenders at the various like bars recognized not so much me the cup because i could just walk by and set the cup down and they would know that strawberry mojitos go in that cup um and <laughs> like it was it was great uh the other thing i discovered oddly enough was that you don't get hangovers down there so i was pretty much able to drink like all of the time and it was like an effort and a like uh like it i made it a mission one night after like the fifth day there because i was bored out of my mind because i'm used to being like super crazy productive the idea of just sitting around doing nothing was actually like eating at me. And I was like, no, I'm gonna make a dedicated plan today on Saturday. I am going to drink to the point where I can't feel feelings anymore and stick my feet in the ocean um, and then promptly run out of the ocean when something underneath the water decides to squiggle and move. Um, it, was my, it was my first time going to the ocean. I am a pasty white vampire kid. Um, so the sun does not work with me. So everybody was kind of shocked that I was picking Mexico anyway. Um, but, you know, so I tried on Saturday, I, I eventually succeeded. Um, and, and that's when, you know, I, I discovered that uh, I, I once you get on the first name basis with your local bartender, and you know, you, you know how to tip, that's when all of a sudden that that threshold crosses over where it's like, all right, yep, nope, that was a good day. And I woke <laughs> up Sunday perfectly fine. And I was like, this is great. <laughs> Yeah, so there, there's there is some science and equatorness that goes along with this. Um, I'm not gonna let Val explain that to you because she doesn't know, but she'd make up crap. No, no, so, like I, I went oh, to here Cancun we go. to an all-inclusive resort for my honeymoon. We took some friends with us, and I realized the the language barrier was was not what I expected the miscommunication was going to be. So she asked, my friend asked me what I was drinking. 
and I said, oh, I'm, I'm going to do a, a, a Miami Vice daiquiri. And she goes, that sounds interesting. I said, yeah, it's like strawberry and pina colada together. And she's like, I want one of those. I said, okay. So I turned to the bartender. I said, uh, we would like two. And they came out with four <laughs> of these giant daiquiris. Needless to say, we had lunch and then I, my husband found me passed out in the bed like hours later. He's like, where have you been? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. God, I, I would absolutely go back, but I, I did discover that like going back, I would like to go with a group of people um, yeah. so that you could like get together for the nighttime parties. And then like during the day, you could like go do like your solo things and like, you know, but that that was a thing I learned. Um, I found it really hard to unplug while I was down there. That was like the biggest hurdle for me, but it was really good because I totally needed it. Um, did you take any books to read with you or anything? I did. Like I actually read, um, so uh, you guys know, and, and people listening don't know, but I, I love to storytell games, right? I'm always in, in game writing and things like that. And uh, when you're running games, uh, um, especially in the internet over the pandemic, you know, you find character artwork, right? And there was, I wonder if I can find it here. Um, it was called the 80% Solution there was a character cover of a character art that I used. I just grabbed it from the internet and I was like, oh, this is really cool. Hey, this is that character, it's Dr. Island. When I found the author at a convention, I was walking past his booth at Gen Con and I recognized the cover. So I was like, wait, that's, I know that artwork. I found that artwork. Uh, I, I have to buy this book, right? So I bought the book and it was this 80% solution. It was about this, uh, you know, sort of hyper-futuristic corporate conglomerate of how they're gonna kill a company to 80% effectiveness to let them die in the next 20%. So I read that book entirely. And then I'm reading another book called The Borehole Bazaar. I finished that one when I was down there. And that was this um, fantasy book about the savage races, um, usually uh, like, like weird, like uh, arcane twisted trolls and, you know, all these like things that you would or you would typically in stereotypical fantasy terms be like, oh, they're savage. Of course, you know, cultures have changed and we're now like, no, 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 wait a minute. These guys have like crazy culture and their own personality. So it's a whole book series dedicated to them and about how they're actually like, like they capture some elf prisoners and they're the high races in the book. And it's this whole story about this one elven prisoner locked and, and like, held as a refugee by these like society of bugbears basically um and learning about that so i i read these like two very different uh novels um and then the person i was with uh the person i was with she read um uh, a book that you guys are familiar about uh cedric um and uh from uh, uh the four horsemen and uh, so she read that whole book when she was down there and yeah it was a good time so we did i i totally went down there to read very cool and now val's not gonna be able to help herself but to ask what she thought of it do you see the look on val's face uh, yes i for do anybody I do. not for anybody listening <laughs> and not watching oh she absolutely loved it like awesome. ab, 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 she came back home and was like i have ideas i want to start writing too and was like inspired to start like that's you know. awesome that's awesome uh, no in fact uh the editors are like this right now because i'm doing my last sweep of king incubus which is book five in that series okay 
So it's it's an ongoing thing. You're like, how many books is this going to be? I said, okay, well, well, this podcast isn't about you and your damn about. books. Shut <laughs> up. No, no, so how's no, your it's, series it's, coming along, Rick? Ah, uh, it's it's <laughs> it's coming along. I will say though that like uh, this year, my personal goal uh, is uh, as a as a geek and a nerd is to read every single time I am getting on a plane. I am no longer watching movies, doing any of that stuff. I am just going to read novels every time I'm traveling, like that is my new, like, that, that is my goal this year. I'm gonna, I have a set goal of no, novels that I want to try to read. I want to get at least through um, 27 novels because I planned Ooh. it for like how many times I'm going to a convention. And um, that's, that's my plan for this year. And then you're so. going to go to the conventions and find more novels to yes. buy because that's, that's how it works. That, that is how it works. I mean, the, the, you know, at this point, like, the only way I buy books is from meeting the authors at shows and like hearing what their books are about. And that's how I find new, new series to read. And you know, I, I think, I definitely think that the nature of how we discover new books and new authors has shifted over the years with the rise of conventions and other media. Well, well I think I other conventions, and there was a recent study on this that talked about you know, social media and not just hi, we're getting an ad for a book, but because people are talking about a book or sharing about a book or something like that is how you go. Oh, like I found a group on Facebook, somebody invited me to called the book hangout spot or something like that. And it's literally looking for recommendations. It's people asking for recommendations to different books series and like, Hey, does anybody know this and stuff like that? It's, it's actually a pretty neat way to go about it because you know how many of us got to go to a Barnes and Noble this last year yeah and that's that's a crazy thing the numbers have always been high uh the number two spots has hasn't changed they've just only gained more more of a lead than the rest of the options so number one for the last six years for sure has been word of mouth of how someone's discovered either a new book new series or new author number two has been platform which means directly social media or the author themselves or newsletters. Um, and that has gained over a 30% jump on the third option since uh, the pandemic hit, which is crazy. That is, I, I, I never have managed to, uh, I, I, I'm stuck in that perpetual uh, loop of I'm either creating content or I can try to find a way to like go out there. So like, TikTok or uh, Twitter and things like that. I still never do it. In fact, uh, Erica is probably going to, you know, lamb blast me through the camera here because last time I was on the podcast, we talked about mailing lists and other things with the, the series that I work on. And um, I am overhauling my website and getting that stuff done. It is in process, but I didn't start it last time, but I did it because I, I knew I was scheduled. I was like, I at least have to have something to report or I am going to be skewered. So, so I hope by the time this podcast airs that you're able to send it out to your newsletter that is on your website. Yes, uh, that, that actually should be entirely possible. Um, but I guess uh, overall in the past year or the past two years of things that I've been working on. So um, obviously I write the seventh age series. Uh, it's called uh, the seventh age dawn and the seventh age dystopia are the two novels I have out dystopia actually came out in uh, 2021 uh, towards the latter half of the year. 
Um, and I've also write, I, I also write for RPG games. I designed these big mega blockbuster games like the Red Opera Last Days of the Warlock. I've written uh, Siren's uh, Battle of the Bards along with amazing, uh, a whole team of collaborators uh, with Apotheosis Studios. Um, doing these big RPG campaigns definitely took me out, but my love is the Seventh Age series um, of getting that out there and having my sequel out there and finding it, getting it published. Um, this After this podcast, I'm actually starting to write book three, um, but Dystopia is all about um, magic returning and companies branding it because if Amazon could grind up a unicorn and sell it to you for superpowers, they totally will. Just don't read the term of service agreements. And I had so much fun writing that book because in front of every chapter, I have like these little like commercials and ad copy of like, you know, different magic products that would be in this twisted, like near apocalyptic world. And it was a blast, especially because when you start researching like how commercials are made and how ad copy is written, there is some dark stuff out there and you don't have to stray too far to find inspiration about like, just how bad, like just looking at political commercials alone will give you mountains of like, oh, wow, people actually put that on the internet or on TV. Okay, then. Um, but it's been, you know, uh, Dystopia just came out. It's It's been, it's actually changed the dynamics. When you have one novel out and then you have a second one out, that's when you're like, oh, hey, I'm starting to, you know, move along. Um, and yeah, that's where it's at. Um, I have been writing like freaking crazy. I mean, I have, I have so many words written that are now published content, but they're mostly in RPGs or novels. I have some short stories like Pixplox. I'm writing another cyberpunk short story right now, actually. And um, I'm working on a yet to, two other yet to be announced uh, game line projects that are coming out. So. Well, and you... You know, we talked about this a lot on your last podcast, but you've gotten to sort of jump into the realm of your nerd self and be doing nerd things for, <laughs> um, you know, not everybody can say they've got to fulfill their nerd dreams. Of, <laughs> right. To know? start off from wearing a trench coat on a river walk to playing Vampire the Masquerade to actually writing for the like the game lines that you like. And then being able to do something like the Red Opera Last Days of the Warlock is my like my like favorite thing yeah. that I've released because that thing was massive. Um, it is. It's very yeah, massive. Val, Val's got and it there. Watching it's, it, it's it's a very big, hearty book. And so that broken out into acts, which I thought was clever. So yeah, well, the whole uh, that whole book started with uh, drinking. Actually, um, the the story behind how the Red Opera came to be was I was with the band Diamorte. They did all of the music for the original Red Opera album. That was how they started. I happened to be friends with them. In fact, even the uh, lead singer. We, we played vampire a few times. I mean, joke, just to put the full nerd on the table. Um, <laughs> and, you know, they were in my kitchen and there was people like Paul Allender and James Dorton from Black Crown and shit, Paul Allender from Cradle of Filth, these like hardcore metal bands. And, you know, in, uh, in Chicago, I'm an electrician by day. And so that put me in working a lot of uh, concerts at nighttime. So I was always running lighting for shows and concerts and metal bands and things like that. And we were drinking and they were talking about like how difficult it is to get out there in the world. 
uh, and and to get your music out there. And we were just sitting in my kitchen drinking mead. And I was listening to them rant and they were all going back and forth and talking to each other. And I was like, you guys have an entire 10 track album. You should turn this into a role-playing game. Like I, you, you cut away the lyrics. I could actually storytell to this and, and write a whole thing for it. And everybody in the room got real quiet. They looked at me. I like took my drink and I sipped it and I go, I guess I'm writing you an RPG campaign now. Um, and so they sent over their lyric sheets and um, uh, Courtney Penny, who was the editor on the book and, and myself sat down and looked at the lyrics of this band. And we realized that lyrics don't translate into books in any capacity. And then 180,000 words later, we had like completely developed this entire world of the Shadelands with me and my co-author, Pat Edwards, a few other guest authors and things like that. And we had gone to Kickstarter. It went successful. We built this whole campaign about warlocks and like tragedy and opera, like all tied together because not many people on writing game supplements were putting forth uh, campaigns. They're setting books galore, right? You can you can find and run in any setting of, of type of game that you want to play, but it, it it's almost akin to a novel that players can go through and then absolutely smash, break, and and tear apart. And it was a absolute blast to write, but that was a behemoth of a book to create. That you know, when, when there's only a very small pool of writers to make that, and then the art team and the layout team, uh, you know, people at Apotheos Studios, the amount of work that goes into making an RPG book actually kind of blew my mind. And even before, I think last time I was on here, I said layout artists and editors are like unsung heroes of books, because even regular novels uh, take so much other production besides the author to actually like bring out like, sure, I had the idea. Great. That's fantastic. And I put a ton of work and a ton of writing into that. But if Sharon Para from Apotheosis didn't make the book look pretty in layout or David Granjo didn't design, you know, amazing artwork, um, it, it wouldn't it be the book that it is, you know? Yeah, no, exactly. That's, and it's interesting that you say that from, you know, us being behind the publication side, you don't realize, especially in visual books, how important that layout is, how important that art is, because that can make or break whether or not somebody picks up or buys your book. I mean, Val picked it up again. She's super excited when she got that book and stuff and was going through it. And she's going through it from the lens of somebody who does typeset and does all this stuff to go, this is a beautiful book. Like, I think I messaged you. Yeah, like, you did. Whoever your typesetter was, please tell them that from another typesetter that this was well done, well, and and and, and I enjoyed the layout and yeah. visually pleasing. Uh, Sharon is a, uh, a person who lives in Columbia. She is a college student going through. It was her first time uh doing anything like this and so I had to send her a bunch of like other RPG materials of like this is what they look like and then you know there was a lot of guidance and calls with David who's in France like the whole art team did a fantastic job with the book and then like that's what people see and then even um it just won an award for um best campaign uh, uh from No Dice Unlimited and their review was like 
it, it takes a while to like get to the point where people actually read the content and, and get it. Um, you know, I had been writing like the GM tip series at Geek and Sundry for years and how to storytell and run games. So it's like the accumulation of everything over the past 20 years of being a nerd that I've learned about storytelling and player agency and choice, um, you know, to, to go in there, which I guess is like the secret thing. I, I, I think I mentioned in that as a podcast last time, but my seventh age series was totally based off like you know, these like games that I had run of like, hey, wait a minute, what if magic suddenly crashed back into the world, right? What could you do mm-hmm. with that? And you guys probably have the same mindset. Do you guys get pissed at the characters that live in your head when they don't follow your plots and outlines? Because in oh. like dystopia, I got this one bastard named Simon who I'm still pissed off at because I had my whole outline planned and all of that shit. And Simon, it was like, no, fuck you. I'm going to go this way. By the way, I totally swear. I'm sorry about that. Um, this is a big don't fucking podcast. What are dead. you talking about? All right, good. Big, good. Word, yeah. big boy words are used here, okay? All right, all right, all right. Yes. Uh, but yeah, no, Simon uh, in, in, in the novel totally, like if, you, if anybody ever reads this novel and you see the character Simon, just know that he is the one bastard that still pisses me off in my head to my brain all day because he did not follow what was supposed to be for his character arc in the slightest completely went off into left field and just did his own thing and I was like I'm gonna kill you but it, I couldn't do that like it doesn't matter like it, it doesn't work I mean you try. <laughs> I could try but you know he's a, a cunning Frenchman so it's well, see, because you said the one thing for Val, that's very much the case, those kind of situations. For Erica, not as much. Why? Because Erica doesn't outline. Thank you. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm a plotter. And then I, do not and then I get a character who goes rogue. And it's funny because the four horsemen were on calls at night, and some of the knights were were being accountable for each other. And we're like, after 10, 11 p.m., we're riding until midnight. And it's funny because apparently I react as I write and I'm like, no, no. And they're like, what's going on? I'm like, I don't know who this character is, but he's derailed the entire last five books. What I thought was actually happening wasn't what was happening, but it works and I can't stop him. Yes, yes. Um, I, I, I understand this entirely. And, and it, the, the funny thing is, is like my, you think of years and years of storytelling and running games for players, I would be used to characters uh, running around and, and doing their own uh, thing and then be like, oh, I'm going to pivot this plot this way. But when they're all in my own head, and I have like my, like I'll make my outlines, right? But I don't write like everything down to a detail. I just got my big outline of this is what's supposed to happen. But then in the scenes that I'm actually writing, it's all organic. It's like, you know, type it, type, type, type. And I'm having dialogue back and forth with, I'm, I'm role playing with myself like an insane person. Okay. And um, that's not insane. That's called being a writer. Okay. Fair. Um, but uh, <laughs> the, um, but, you know, Simon in, in dystopia was like, Yes, I see this entire outline that you have planned. I see all of these plot points that you have. I see these things that you want me to do. I am going to do none of them. And in fact, I'm going to present to you here this plot hole with these powers that I that my team has. And we're going to go in this completely other direction. Um, and I'm sitting there like, dude, it's like chapter like six. 
and you are now making me scrub my entire outline again. And so I rescrub my outline and Simon goes, hey, remember that first idea you had? Yeah, we're going to do that, but we're going to twist it if we're going to take things this way. All right, Simon, you and I need to have a conversation. Um, so, but he was, he was the character in dystopia that, um, that probably gave me the most, most run for my, my trouble, um, when I, when I was actually plotting the novel. Um, but I don't know, I'm, I am just really freaking happy that the book came out because publishing is a hard journey and finding a way going from, you know, my first book being, uh, an, like a contest winner and getting like a one book deal. I didn't realize the trap of one book publishing deals, oh, which was yes. once you Ooh. like, like I, I, you know, won an award with Nerdist. It's how I started writing for Geek and Sundry was it was like, hey, top five, top science fiction fantasy novel for the first book, which is okay. Hey, a cult, end of the world, sarcasm, you know, all wrapped up into a nice bundle. And that book was just for one book. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. Great. I want to write more books in this series. But that was a contest book. There was no necessary, there was no publisher to really take it and go for more from there. And then when you go to seek to agents or you go to like submit and pitch and do things, if your first book has already been published, nobody's interested. And so there was this period of time where it was like, well, I don't really quite know how I'm going to take this world that I have planned out there. And then doing the Red Opera with the success of the Red Opera on Kickstarter was what, like breaking away from the book series to go do game writing is what brought that back around of, hey, I now have a full channel for the rest of the Seventh Age series um to to come out so getting that out is like a huge weight off my my shoulders plus it's better than the first book i'm not gonna lie every writer evolves as they you know write multiple things and at, at this point i was like oh cool i've done multiple projects since then um i know book two is better <laughs> very very cool okay we're gonna take a quick break we will be right back with rick and Rick. Our sponsor today on Drinking with Authors is Skunk Brothers Spirits. Skunk Brothers Spirits was started by a family of disabled veterans focused on locally sourced quality distilled spirits. Their name was inspired by their pops, who was nicknamed Skunk. Skunk's father was a moonshiner in Oregon back when it wasn't exactly legal. Now the brothers are taking the family business legal with their Washington-based team using their grandfather's Prohibition-era moonshine recipe to bring small batch spirits to the gorge and beyond. From the moonshine corn whiskey to the apple pie brandy, all of their spirits are handmade in Washington. Believing they already have the best ingredients in the local community, they work with local farmers and suppliers to produce the highest quality spirits from scratch. You can find them on Facebook at Skunk Brothers and on Twitter at Skunk Bros Inc. Or visit their site www.skunkbrotherspirits.com and use coupon code DWA10 at checkout to read 10% off your order. You can always also ask your local retailer to start stocking Skunk Brother Spirits. Regardless of how you get your hands on a bottle or two, grab a drink and don't forget to get skunk.
We are back. We are back. What the fuck were we talking about before we left? I don't remember. Well, okay. Rick so, mentioned that he he started off in the artist alley circuit. So would you like to share? That's not what we were talking about, but I appreciate that you can start. Oh. Hey, I, am, I am down with that transition. Um, so, uh, God, um, so what I had done was my first, like, I was a gamer. Like, I mean, I'm talking trench coats, uh, samurai katanas, you know, 90s, 80s vampires, gamer to the course. And I was running these massive 600 person LARPs in Chicago. And at some point, I realized I was telling all of these stories and somebody challenged me to do Nano Remo. I did it. I I actually won a contest. Um, I actually found I really loved writing. Building soundtracks for characters was amazing. And I sat down and I, I just didn't stop writing. I found it to be awesome. I went to school for art and I ended up being an electrician. So um, I got back into art in my own way through, through writing and urban exploration and seeing and tearing down buildings. Like one of my favorite stories, um, which I'll get to in a moment about the Chicago Board of Trade. It's how I signed my books, but um, I did, I published my first book and I, I did the Barnes and Noble book series uh, where I would go around to Barnes and Nobles and I would do book signings. And I was, I was like, I'm next to Heinlein because my name is H-E-I-N-Z, like the freaking ketchup bottle. And I was like, oh my God, I'm on a bookshelf next to, you know, Robert Heinlein and whatnot. And it was like, this was, you know, crazy. And um then I realized that all of the people who like sarcastic dark fantasy about the end of the world um, probably go to anime conventions, like things like Helsing, like Neon Genesis Evangelion, like, you know, all of this like epic fantasy with conspiracy and magic tied together. So I had been working as a um, uh, one of the con runners of various anime shows for quite some time. And I'd always seen the Artist Alley people and so one of my artist friends was like, oh, split a table with me, come come do Artist Alley. And sure enough, I ended up finding and connecting directly to people who were like, no, I like the Illuminati. I like conspiracy. I like vampires and demons and magic. Oh, and I have the Illuminati card game. Um, oh my God, I love that so much. <laughs> yeah, no, yes. I I am, I am <laughs> like my, like, it's funny is like, I've practiced my official pitch about the book so freaking much that like other artists, they will like, cause when you're selling at an artist alley, um, you, you're just pitching continuously and almost like all of the time, by the end of the convention, the other artists were tabling next to me are always like, all right, dude, we've heard your pitch a thousand times to get it. G give me a book. Um, and, uh, so, um, but what I have done is I've made a lot of friends, like my tattoos, every time I publish a book, I get a new tattoo. So I'm up to seven tattoos. Um, every tattoo I have has a story over a piece of work that I've put out there in, in the world. And what I do in Artist Alley to like help, you know, kind of showcase my world is I give my book to other art friends uh, that I've met over the years. And I say, just read this book draw me your favorite scene or character um no direction from me in the slightest it's literally just read the book and, and freaking have fun with it and i'll give you a bucket of money um and and they produce really freaking awesome art so now my like artist alley display is is really freaking awesome 
And I have some favorite pieces of art that I've used as covers or back covers. But one of my newest pieces of art that I'm really happy for dystopia is like Jane, who's like got you know, the Odin's wolves bound up in chains with like the midwinter black coffee, uh, like logo from one of the commercials. I, I'm going to make that a coffee mug at some point that <laughs> is going to happen. But I have been doing the, the con circuit uh, for a while in cons that you wouldn't expect to find writers at, right? Like I could go to a book fair, I can go to a science fiction con, things like that. I can go to Gen Con, right? I, I'm a game industry writer. But Gen Con, I go as press from Geek and Sundry or Nerdist. Um, but the conventions that I go to tend to be anime conventions because if you like Helsing, um, you know, uh, you like uh, uh, freaking Bruce Campbell and horror and, and, and crazy gore and conspiracy and Evangelion, that's the kind of series that I write. Um, I wanted to write urban fantasy that was about um, that wasn't about the the triangle of uh, of love or anything like that. It was about what happened when magic literally comes back on top of us today, not post apocalyptic like Shadowrun, which is you know a hundred years in the future, and they have all the crazy tech. It's no right now. You're sitting here at your desk, and your grandma has the ability to summon a demon to command powers. Nothing could possibly go wrong. And, you know, these forces trying to put magic back in a bottle. And that's why my sequel, Dystopia, you know, coming out with, oh, magic's back in the world. Now companies can brand it. They can do stuff with it. They can sell it as a product. Of course, people have agendas. And, you know, what do people do with that? I, my third book in the series, uh, Decay, which I'm writing this year, is, you know, sort of exploring urban legends throughout, you know, America and how people are surviving in the apocalypse now that this stuff has happened. So it takes me until I get to the third novel before I'm really post-apocalyptic uh, because it, book one is now. Uh, book two is, hey, magic came back, you know, a year later, how does, how do companies brand it? And book three is, is now what happens when these cryptids and these SCPs and these legends are fully crawling around in the world. How do you yourself survive? And so I wanted to do this epic fantasy thing, but going to conventions, it's hard to stand out in a sea of art without art yourself to support you. Um, so that was one of the, the, the big tricks I learned. And also, you know, I, I think we mentioned this earlier, layout artists and artists and people that make your book look good they're the like absolutely unsung heroes like you know my artist Ashley Witter she did interview with the vampire um uh you know from Anne Rice uh, Claudette's tale um she actually did even this uh podcast people can't see this but I'm holding up a piece of tattoo <laughs> no, that has a bunch we're of crazy actually going video now I actually yes, have a video person so you'll be videoed. All right. Um, so yeah, I have crazy artwork from Ashley Witter. Um, I have, uh, you know, uh, Vivian, who goes by the handle Boss Mincier. Uh, she does this amazing style of painted brush. She did the cover of Dystopia. Um, you know, my artists, I absolutely love the artists because, and the coolest thing as a writer, the absolute 
best feeling is to give somebody a book and give them no direction and see what they birth from their own mind and their own style and their imagination. And it's like, that is inspiring as hell. Agreed. Agreed. 1000% agreed. Oh yeah. Um, no. and, and it's crazy that I think one of the hardest things as a writer is or something that you're always thinking in the background at the very least is getting over the, the fretting of, am I describing this correctly enough for them to figure it out or do I leave it to their imagination that's always like something as a writer that we're always like teetering and it's always really awesome that when you do receive fan art or see it or see other people do fan art to books that you like reading see that everyone's imagination wasn't as far spread on the spectrum as you expected and you're like yeah I guess that's exactly it you know one so of exciting feelings one of the oddest compliments that I ever got was that in my series and the way I write, I, I always describe lighting. Um, and I was like, wait, lights? And I didn't realize it. I'm an electrician. When I walk into any building, I look up and I look at the lights oh, and how things are, are set up, how light shows on things. I have a rule. I don't write in a city that I haven't walked around at three o'clock in the morning. Um, because walking around at nighttime is is kind of my my muse, and um, so like hearing that my sense of lighting was really nice, I was like, that is a very specific compliment. Okay, uh, you know what? Hey, day job go. Oh, that reminds me, uh, the Chicago Board of Trade. Um, yes. So this is. Um, all right, here's your treat for the people that see video. I have this crazy tattoo right here on my chest. And when I sign my books, I have this like crazy stamp. This tattoo, I was demolishing the Chicago Board of Trade with um, uh, my electrical company and my boss, who's a total hippie. And we were in the vice president's office and we were taking down these wood plaster walls and stuff like that. And this tattoo was baked into the concrete wall with a physical plaque that said, a man's only worth is how much wealth you can generate, which is creepy. What? Because that's a terrible statement. Yeah, and this, Illuminati stuff. Right, this is the official alchemy guild symbol from 1863, <gasps> which is really about finding gold in your soul. And I was like, you bastards are twisting magic for your own ends. And my boss was like, dude, this is like a weird cult church. And he is like, you know, Don Piscina at the time. He is like, he is the classic hippie old timer that has like lived through it all. And he's like, this place is kind of messed up. And I'm like, dude, it's the board of trade, right? <laughs> this is like where millions of dollars flow through every second. And they had slogans like that all over the place hidden in the walls I with these what? like arcane symbols and so when Whoa. this the reason i got this tattooed was for the first book i have a whole stamp from it uh the whole idea was about these like you know people that had this magic power for centuries and had been using it for their own ends um, I had, I had twisted and people asked me like, would you quit your day job? And I'm like, no, 
because it gives me so many so much inspiration walking through the tunnels underneath a major international airport and i'm not talking like the tunnels that like customers go through i'm talking the like crazy weird pipe work tunnels that are like bomb sheltered all the way down underneath where there's no cell phone reception they're terrifying they are bloody terrifying to walk through and you're like if something crawled out of that shadow, I would scream at a very high-pitched tune. Um, and one of uh, the other scenes from my first book was absolutely born from me working in Chicago. I was going down into the old CTA tunnels um, in the deep tunnels of the city, um, moving these uh, switchboards around. And I open up a closet door and I shine my flashlight down and I just, or I, I I'm, I'm there, I open the door and I feel this wave of water wash over me. And I'm just like, ah, oh, fuck, I'm soaked. I shine my flashlight down and there is just a wave of cockroaches crawling all over me. Yeah. And I start screaming. I am like running up the ladder, my foreman. And, uh, you know, I'm an apprentice electrician at this time. They are laughing their ass off. I had to drive home in boxers because you have to leave your shoes, your boots, everything you have, all your clothes there because they could have cockroach eggs in them. But when I get to the book and I am writing and I describe a scene with a plague demon made of a thousand insects just crawling all over you, like it's personal experience, <laughs> it's personal experience. And like, so that idea of like, write what you know is, is, is hella relevant. And people are like, would you quit your day job? And I'm like, hell no. Cities are terrifying and awesome when you look underneath the cover. I'm going to like I'm going to reach out to to the crew at Dragon Con because I was on, uh, is it fact or fiction, right? And everyone was telling a tale or a story, experience or something from their or reading something from their book, and then the audience had to guess that that was fact or fiction. And it was fun because I got to read out of my book about a scene where he's like using pestle mortar with some. Uh, buzz buttons and and spinning into it and rubbing it on a wound to kind of numb it down for for the comfort of his companion and they're like everyone's like that's fake that's fake and i'm like nope it's real it was heavily used during the civil war it is still a thing and everyone's like and you just it was just fun seeing people like google and research because even in a work of fiction there is so much fact that gets pulled in uh, and, and it's either research or it's personal experience, but it does, it adds a different flavor for every author who writes. Well, and that's, that's, and if you have personal experience or you really do research, then you're writing from a place of truth and it doesn't throw your readers out of the story. Because when mm. you don't and you haven't experienced it, not that you can't write something you haven't experienced, absolutely, but do your research on some of the stuff so you're not writing from a place of you know, like talking about bugs going down and you're like, and then I just wipe my shoulder a little bit. No, that's not what would happen if you had millions of cockroaches dumped on you. That is not the end result would not be like, and I just dusted them off and continue down the thing. 
Yeah, no, no, no you just no. run. You run. Yeah. That's that's actually why I always laugh at fear checks and RPG game systems because when something is going to set you off, no, it just you're you're gone. I make no shy bones about it. The screeches that I hit when that happened were an octave higher than I think I could ever possibly hit and I'm an arachnophobic. So like if I see spiders, that's like the end of me. Um and like I write in like a horror thing and, and people were like, Rick, you storytell, you use spiders. And I'm like, yes, because they're not real. And they terrify the shit out of me. So I could describe what makes them creepy to me. No, it's true. I, I mean, I write horror too. And I'll tell you, I people ask me that I'll be writing at night sometimes and I'll write a scene because I write a lot about really gnarly things that happen to people. And I've creeped myself out. I have absolutely creeped myself out and not been able to sleep well that night. And I wrote the fucking thing that I'm talking about. I'm like writing it. And then I'll be like, I've got to get up and go pet a kitten somewhere. I'm going to go find a kitten and pet one. I need to turn on every single light in this house. You know, no. I'm going to put on a fucking cartoon that is not anime and it's going to like have rainbows and I don't give a fuck. That is, I'm on the Disney channel. That is what is happening now because I've creeped myself out. Yeah, no, my go-to when I was creeped out is I, this is going to sound weird, but I will absolutely watch like Powerpuff Girls or My Little Pony on freaking repeat when I am scared crap because I love getting scared right i am a horror fan so like but i'm not a horror fan of like oh i love the gore things like that. i love the idea of like this is a creepy freaking thing and for me it's possession uh anything to do with insects or anything to do with demons and so obviously i watch a lot of weird movies um that involve any of those three things and like they will happen and i'm like cool um, every light is on in the house, and um, I'm gonna binge out some Twilight Sparkle episodes. Yeah, <laughs> nobody's judging me for that, all right? Because that is back to like, yeah, no, no, I'm with you. Okay, I do have a question for you though, because we talked about this on the last podcast, and I'm impressed I remember it. But your son was running some role playing games. How was yes. that going in the time since we last talked about him? So, all right. When we last talked about it, I had been running this whole D&D for Kids program, and he's been storytelling and doing this thing. Teaching people how to become storytellers is a thing for me. Then the pandemic hit, um, and medium shift. So we all have to go to a Zoom or Discord or online type RP. And out of the group that... Um, my kid was running for he's he's 14 years old now um you know out of the group that he was he was running for and the group that i was helping storytell for that he was a part of uh this whole program called uh you know uh, the storytellers forge that i i've been building up for the site we're up to 200 kids it actually blew up entirely over the pandemic where people would sign their kids up to learn how to be storytellers right but we'd play online via zoom we'd use like owlbear.com like various map things i'd write a bunch of adventures give them to a bunch of gms because obviously i can't run for 200 people so uh this local game store had hired a bunch of gms that knew how to run online oddly enough my son was one of the people who was like i can't role play on zoom 
um, I, I, I can't do the digital thing because his school was online. Everything that he was doing was online through remote. It wasn't fun for him. There wasn't the same level of engagement. There was no like, this is the magic chair that rolls D20s or, or rolls natural 20s on a dice roll. Um, he couldn't play the game the same way. Uh, they couldn't like talk and hang out afterwards. It, it wasn't, it was very cut and dry. And people on Zoom were very different. Their parents were in the background, especially when you're dealing with kids, right? Like 12, 13 years old, there's a lot more noise in their background. Um, and he wasn't having any of it. So he actually told me I have to stop. Um, and I respected that choice. I was like, all right, actually, kid, I get that. I don't actually like running games online. I am not like a, a game streamer where I'm running my live plays of games all of the time because that there's a certain level of being on, right? Especially when you're behind like a camera and you're, and you're running things, that that level is is very different. And all respect for people that can can do that. I even I can't do that. And I get that. I like being able to put on music. I like being able to like run a game with a setting by candlelight. When I ran 10 candles for um Uval and 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 I was like, hey, I would much prefer to do this in person, but there are logistics that you know we have to run by. Still one of my favorite games ever. People <laughs> yep. don't remember me. Yeah, uh, I was <laughs> no no, I I I I remember because you almost made it to the end. Oh my God. No, I made it to the end. She did. She did because nobody remembered me. But no one remembered her. So that's right. It matters. That um, was an amazing game. Ten Candles but, by far. One of the most I mean, amazing. Fighting over fun a bar games. and we kept tying in our roles. What yes. Were the yes. No, that was epic. And like I love that game system, but that game system has so much more weight in person. Um, but I will happily report that as soon as the um he was able to go back to school full time, he has started up his own group at his high school because now he's a freshman in high school and he is running something badass hmm. he's running a freaking hollow earth campaign where people are descending down to deal with kaiju and ancient monsters in the hollow earth then he built his own world with crazy maps then he's stealing my dice and borrowing my gm screen and he is the official like as a freshman in high school, he's the official lead GM of the entire high school for their entire D and D club. That um, is amazing. So the fact I'm that like, there is a D and D club in his school just makes me happy because when I was the age of being in high school, we were the people. We thought we were satanic, like because oh yeah. Um, Satanic Panic was a was a brief thing. Do you remember those old weird pamphlets you would get about like how D and D leads you? To we have the devil? an author who wrote a horror thriller based during uh, one of the major events of the Satanic Panic called The Witch of the Black Circle, and and our editors are like, yeah, we I. They're like, you know, when you finish a good horror book, when you're conflicted and looking around over your shoulders. <laughs> oh, I. I need you to send that to me because oh, yeah. um, I wrote this whole like P 
piece on the satanic panic and DD. Like, right, I am the person who grew up in Chicago, Calumet City, when my mom was, you know, like 30 years old. And I'm there with like, she's encouraging me to play like these RPG games so that I'm not out like doing something far, far worse. And the police officer is like, you know, that this is going to lead your son down the path of Satanism. Um, and like that satanic panic and dare and all of that stuff was right in my generation. Um, oh, ditto, ditto, my friend. I, I was growing up in LA and trust me, it was, oh, more, oh yeah, it was really bad out there. Cause that combined with the music I was listening to. I was in, I, I went, I'm going to hell. Just so everybody's like accumulation of points. Apparently from all that, I'm going to hell. It's fine. It's you know, totally it's, fine. It, it, it's odd enough, but apparently um, it, it, between heaven and hell, if you listen to the 80s and 90s specifically, um, uh, in only those two generations, hell has a way cooler music brand. Then, that is so true. Then, you know, Millie Vanilli pulling somebody else's music off of Spotify. I saw a joke about that. Um, <laughs> okay, let's do this. We got to wrap up this, this episode, Rick. What advice would you give authors out there, especially with everything you've gone through this year? What advice would you give? It is never a bad thing to contact a lawyer to engage in a contract and make sure that your rights and what you are doing before you sign a deal are okay. It is money spent up front to make sure that things are okay in the long run. I and, love that. Okay, how do people find you? Um, your so, work. Um, you can find me at Cranky Bolt uh, on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. I don't post much because I'm always writing content. As I mentioned earlier, I fail at social media. Um, on Discord, I'm at Cranky Bolt at 4917 for those who are there. But seriously, just send me a PM. If anybody addresses me in a PM and it was like, what advice do you have about storytelling? What do you like about books? I respond instantly. Um, you can find me at conventions. I'll be at like Pentagon, anime shows, uh, C2E2. I'll be at Anime Midwest all throughout this year. Um, you can find my writings largely anywhere on Amazon. Um, just look up Rick Hines. There's a hockey player. I played hockey, but I am not him. Um, um, but, uh, uh, Rick Hines, uh, just Google internet will find me plenty. And, um, I guess, uh, cranky bolt is the best way. My new website, rickhineswrites.com might be live by the time. We'll be live by the time this episode it better is. be live. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> rickhineswrites.com. That's my new website because I am finally taking Erica's advice of saying, hey, I have written all of this stuff. Time to actually make it in a spot where people can find it in one spot. And the last, the most recent book out is Dystopia, right? Seventh Age Dystopia, which um, you guys blurbed. And gave yes. a, a fantastic review for. Yes, I love that book. I actually, it's so funny because I was like, didn't I get a copy of that book? I ordered it while we were on this pot. She got the damn copy of the book. That's <laughs> what it is. Mother, anyway, whatever. You got a for me. Okay, whatever. Whatever, I see how it is. Anyway, okay. This hey, it's whoever responds to the email. Yes, I see how it is. 
anyway, I ordered it. Now I just have to take it around with me to conventions until I get inside like a creeper. So, okay. This has been Drinking with Authors, the podcast. I have been your host, Erica Lance. Our amazing sponsor is um, Skunk... I almost lost it here, guys. <laughs> Skunk Brothers Spirits. They know. They know. I hear comments. Um, DWA 10, you can get any of their whiskeys and, and um, different amazing, delicious, wonderful mixes. My co-host has been Valerie Lewis, and our guest has been Brittany Hines. And we'll see you guys next time.